Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 36. Our goal tonight is to get through 36, 37, 38, and 39. The first 35 chapters really is the first division of the book. We finished that up on Sunday and last Wednesday. And uh, this section here tonight, 36 to 39, I want to I be able to get through it in one evening uh, because this is the second division of the three in the book of Isaiah. It revolves around King Hezekiah. And the five greatest kings probably in the southern tribes of Judah would have been Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah. And underneath all of these kings, there was revival that took place. Uh, they were good kings. It's said in Second Chronicles about Hezekiah, that he did all that was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. So as we mentioned earlier, in the ten northern kingdoms, there wasn't one good one in the whole bunch. I think he had 19, maybe 20. But the reoccurring phrase there is they did evil in the sight of the Lord after their, the sins of their father Jeroboam. And, um, but as we get into this section tonight, um, we begin with, Assyria at its peak of its power. And uh, let's pick it up and we'll start in chapter 36. And the the setting here is really a challenge. A guy being sent from Sennacherib. Sennacherib would have been the king of the Assyrians. And he's going to send this guy named Rabshakeh as a messenger. So let's pick it up in verse 1, chapter 36 came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So he's on. uh, Everywhere they go, they're just conquering every city that's in their way. And then the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Now, if I remember right, Dan and Lachish are one and the same. And this would have been where Jeroboam would have set up one of these two golden calves. The other one was in Bethel, but the other one was in Dan. But I'm pretty sure it's also named Lachish. So he's staying there in Lachish, and he's sending on sort of, like you might say, his right-hand man or his general down to Jerusalem with this message. So verse 2, king, to, uh, from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct uh, from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. So now we have these guys coming out to meet this representative Uh, sent from uh, the king of Assyria, whose name was Sennacherib. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah. So they're not talking directly to Hezekiah. These are in-between guys. They're eventually going to take this message uh, to Hezekiah. Uh, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. What confidence in this in which you trust? I say you speak of having counsel and strength of war, but... They're all vain words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel 
against me. I think they're sort of surprised that um, they just don't capitulate. I mean, everybody else has, except Hezekiah. And he has um, the gate shut. He has men on the walls. And um, so now it's sort of trash talk. That's the way I would explain this. And he's, he's mocking Hezekiah for having the audacity to think he's going to stand up against Assyria. He says, look, explanation point, verse 6, you're trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hands and pierce it, uh, all who trust in him. Now, I think he's winging it. He's trying to figure out why, is, uh, why aren't you guys capitulating? Why aren't you just letting us in? It, maybe it has to do that they're hoping Egypt will somehow intervene for him. Verse 7, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken down and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Now, therefore, I urge you to give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, a little bribe here, and then I will give you 2,000 horses. And if you're able on your part to put riders on them, how then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Well, of course he didn't. This is all sarcasm at the highest level. He's mocking Hezekiah. He's trying to get him rattled so that when Hezekiah gets this message, then he will give in and capitulate. So then verse 11, Then Eliakim and Shebna and Joah said to the Rabshaki, Please speak in your servants in the Aramaic language, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Hebrew for the hearing of the people who are on the wall. They didn't want uh, these leaders did not like the fact that they were speaking in Hebrew because they were understanding it. And he says, please speak to your servants in the Aramaic language because they didn't want the guys to lose heart that were standing on the wall defending the city. But the Rabshaki said, has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? Then the Rabshaki stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew, so he's taunting him all the more, and said, Hear the words of the great king of Assyria. Thus says the king. Now he's talking to the guys on the wall. Don't listen to Hezekiah, and don't let him deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. And don't let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us, The city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me. In other words, give me a bribe, give me something. And every one of you then, if you do that, well, then you'll eat from your own vine and every one from his own fig tree and every one will drink the water of of his own cistern. Everything will be fine. Just give in. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, and a land of bread and vineyards. And beware, 
lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nation delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Now they've got a good argument going here. They haven't. Nothing is stopped in Sennacherib. Um, like Alexander, there was nothing in front of him that couldn't be conquered. And wherever Alexander went, there was victory. And at this time, Assyria is the world-dominating power hands down. And so what he just said is absolutely true. And then to prove his quote, he said, these other places had gods. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharim? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? The answer is no. Who among the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. It's not going to stop here. So, you know, he's trying to unnerve the people that are hearing this message, messenger come. But the last couple of verses are very interesting. Because it tells us, but they, people on the wall, even though they were hearing these taunts, but they held their peace and answered not a word. Why? For the king's command was, do not answer them. There's a whole study right in this. You know, the Proverbs are full of not giving an answer to a fool. And there they listen to King Hezekiah, and so they're, they're keeping their trap shut. They're not saying anything. But now these guys have to take everything that they heard in this last verse, and they have to go now and report. And they have to report to King Hezekiah. So verse 22, then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, they came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told them the words of Rabshakeh. So even though they were playing it cool, common, collective by not saying anything to this guy, when they actually had to bring this message to Hezekiah, they were going, this is not good. And they had torn their clothes. When they did that in the Old Testament, it was a sign of great mourning and being greatly troubled, and they indeed are. So chapter 36 basically summed up is Sennacherib sends this guy to taunt, hoping that his ridicules will somehow get them to give in. They don't, but yet they realize they're in a lot of trouble because what they said was true. Nobody has been able to stand up to the Assyrian army up till this point. As we get into chapter 37, um, Hezekiah is getting the report. Verse 1, And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself in sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. So now he is humbling himself by um, demonstrating the same thing with tearing clothes and putting on sackcloth. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household of Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Now this is where the prophet comes in. This is the book of Isaiah. He's just gotten, the king has just gotten a report He goes and does the best thing he could. He goes to the house of the Lord. And he sends messengers to Isaiah and lets them know what's coming down. And 
They said to him, now they're um, talking to Hezekiah. Thus says Hezekiah, this is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. In other words, they're at their, they're at their end. Um, they're surrounded by the Assyrian army. And um, we're here, but we really, we're here, but we don't have any strength not to stand up against the Assyrians. And um, we just don't have any strength. I, I like the sort of the poetic way that this has come forth. Um, they've, um, they have children come to birth, but they don't have the strength to deliver the child. Verse four, it may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of Rakshaki, whom his master, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, has sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So they're asking Isaiah, would you please get involved with this? Would you pray to the Lord? And that this remnant here that's left. Now remember, um, by this time, the ten northern tribes have already fallen to Assyria. And it's some years later, now it's come full circle while they're finally getting down to uh, come against Jerusalem. Verse 5, so the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you will say to your master. In other words, I want you to go back and talk to Hezekiah. He says, thus says the Lord, don't be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. It's not you they blaspheme, they're blaspheming me. He says, surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he'll hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So the Rabshaki returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning, oh, how do you say that, uh, Tyrhaka, the king of Ethiopia, he has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, He sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you will speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. So again, here come the threats. He says, Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and will you be delivered? Why? You're not going to be any different than anybody else on the list. Have the gods of the nations delivered those who my fathers have destroyed? Uh, Gozan and Haran and uh, Reseph and and the people of Eden who were in Telazar. And when the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad and the kings of the city of Sepharvab and Hena and Iva And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. 
I'm gonna get a little sidetracked here. This, when I read this here, um, where he takes the letter, he goes into the house of the Lord and just lays it out. And he says, here it is, Lord. Um, Bill Waters has been with the Lord 10 or 11 years now. December, end of December. And um, I remember one time uh, visiting Bill and just sort of walking in on him. And uh, he was at his kitchen table. And he had all of his bills laid out. And his, they were just there. There were his bills. And, uh, and he was just praying. I can't read this verse without thinking of this story. And basically, um, that's the kind of guy Bill was. He, he says, look at these, Lord. <laughs> this, is, this is your problem, not mine. What are you going to do about it? And uh, the Lord always provided. Uh, and um, this is exactly what Hezekiah is doing. He says, here it is, Lord. Read it for yourself. He went up before the Lord and spread it out before the Lord, and then he prayed. Saying, so now it's one-on-one. And there's so many sidetracked Bible studies here about being in that place where your back's against the wall and there really is no place to go. I mean, you are surrounded. And I think the Lord likes to put us, maybe sometimes in situations like that, no back door, no way out. Sort of like the children of Israel. Um, Egyptian chariots on one side and the sea on their back. No place to go. What are you going to do? Well, the Lord made a way. And it's through these experiences, this is going to be a mountaintop experience eventually for Hezekiah. It's always interesting to me when, I, when you read the Bible and you, you look at mountaintop experiences and then what happens after a mountaintop experience. But now we're getting into 38 and 39. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So he's in the house of the Lord, and he says to the Lord, then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven, you made this earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And here are all the words of Sennacherib, who has, sent, who has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste to all the nations and their land, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but they were the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord alone. And um, discurred events, he's asking God to do the impossible, the miraculous. For what reason? That the people of Israel would know that you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if I would bring this Bible study, current events, what's going on right now, Of course, the stage is being set in the Middle East for, I believe, um, either the Psalm 83 war 
or the Ezekiel 38. And the stage is set for that to happen. And when it does happen, in Ezekiel 38, after the Lord gets directly involved himself, then, I've said this many times, 54 times in Ezekiel, the recurring phrase is, then you will know that I'm the Lord. And so in this prayer that Hezekiah is praying to the Lord, he's saying, Lord, look at their taunts. And it's true, nobody stopped them. And because their gods aren't God, but you are God. So Lord, will you intercede, and then the people will know that you are the Lord, you alone. There's only one. Verse 21, then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, so now Isaiah is sending a message, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me, against Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord which has spoken concerning him. Now, the virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughters of Jerusalem have shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have reproached the Lord and said, by the multitudes of my chariots, I have come up to the heights of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down all of its cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter its farthest heights to its fruitful forests. And I have dug and drunk water and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Um, This is what the Lord is saying to them. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? From ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants have little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were all grass of the field and all of green herbs and as the grass on the housetop. And as a grain blighted before it grown, but I know your dwelling place, you're going out and you're coming in, and your rage against me. This reminds me of Psalm 2, that the uh, (laughs) audacity where the kings of the earth are going to fight against the Lord. And the Lord thinks it's funny. He who is in heaven shall laugh and hold them in derision. Um, Physical army going against and fighting against the creator of all things. That's what he's saying here. Because your rage against me and against your torment have come to my ears. There's a king praying, and he laid out your threats before me, and he's asked me to intercede. Therefore, I'm going to put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. This will be a sign to you, You shall eat this year such as grown of itself, and the second year which springs up the same. Also in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, is going to do this. 
And now verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, concerning the king of Assyria. And this now is what he wants Hezekiah to hear. He's not going to come into the city, nor shoot one arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the way he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And now the talking is over with, and now we see one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Verse 36 of chapter 37 to me is um, right up there with parting the Red, Red Sea and right on down. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose in the morning, there they were. They were all dead. And so Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. So what did the Lord say he was going to do? He said, you're going home, buddy. You're going home the same way that you came, except you're not taking your army with you. You're going home, but nobody else is. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that, um, (laughs) how would you like to have a kid named Adoramalek and uh, Sherezir? His son struck him down with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Ararach. Then Esser Haddon, his son, reigned in his place. So what's interesting to me here is in one night with one angel, we're talking 185,000. So I don't, I don't know what a population of Appleton is, what, 70,000? Then you add the Fox Cities and combined, and if you uh, add all those together, let's just say that's the number. So having all that, that many people, 185 soldiers who are ready to take Jerusalem, one angel goes out and cleans clock in, in one night. And when the people wake up, remember these are the same guys standing on the wall who are hearing the threats, we're done for. That's why they ripped their garments and said that there's nothing that we can do. They were were scared to death. And the Lord answered prayer. Whole Bible study on prayer here. We'll talk more about that on Sunday, how to do it and how not to do it. But here we have the end of the Assyrian Empire. And it happened all in one night. Their army is completely decimated. And the, the fearful king Sennacherib, he's killed by his own kids, and they take the throne. Which brings us now, that, that would be, I would call that a mountaintop experience, right? Well, as I was looking into this today, when you look at 38, we're going to find out that during this period of time, because this is roughly, oh, 14 years into uh, his deliverance from death must have been prior to the destruction of the Assyrian host. So as we look at 38, we, we're getting detail 
about a sickness, evidently, that of a boil that Hezekiah had on him that was killing him. And it's during this time that the siege is going on that we're picking up now chapter 38. Uh, so in those days, Hezekiah was sick, and he was actually near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you will die and not live. That's a pretty heavy message. Um, to have the Lord um, say, set your house in order, I'm, ta- I'm bringing you home. And then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall, and he prayed to the Lord. So he's in bed, and it's a sickness that he's going to die from. And the Lord says, it's time to come home, and uh, you're not going to live. But, you know, he, he, get, he goes into this um, pity mode for himself, and he doesn't want to die. And he says, oh, Lord, remember now, I pray. Don't you remember, Lord, how I've walked with you in truth with a loyal heart? and I've done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah breaks down and he weeps bitterly. And so, you know, the Lord has said, I'm bringing you home. He can't handle it. And he breaks down. And he says, Lord, what have I done wrong? Basically. And the answer is nothing. And the Lord is just saying, put your house in order. And, um, but then the Lord came to Isaiah And he says, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I heard your prayer, and I've seen your tears, and I will add to your days 15 years. I wish I could explain this prayer. I wish I could explain why the Lord answered this prayer. Um, And I'll tell you more when we get done tonight uh, why this um, might, well, it wasn't the best thing. And, but he says, the Lord says, okay, if that's what you want, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you 15 more years. So he was supposed to check out, let's say, at the age of 50. But instead, he's going to 50, 65. If he was whatever age he was at at that time, he's going to have another 15 years added to his life. And he says, I will deliver you in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. So now we know that this sickness happened before what we just read in chapter 37. And I will defend the city. So it's sort of like in the book of Revelation when you get to chapter 17 and 18. You're getting information that was happening during the tribulation period. It's not in a chronological order. So as we read 38 here, this is happening sometime during chapters 36 and 37. Is everybody following me on that? Okay. So, and this will be a sign to you from which the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I'll bring the shadow of the sundial which has gone down with the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees backwards. So the sun... um, Oh, he said, verse 7, I missed it. Uh, this, uh, this will be the sign from which 
the Lord, the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the, the shadow on the sundial which has gone down, and the sun on the sundial of Ahaz ten degrees backwards. So the sun returned ten degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. Think of all the <laughs> solar implications that have to be done here for the sun to go 10 degrees back on a sundial. And we're, ta- we're talking about altering the universe. And, and um, this is the writing of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. So he said, I said, I'm in the prime of my life. And I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. I said I will not see Yahweh, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall observe men no more among the inhabitants of the world. Talk about a reality check. I mean, what if you knew, somehow you knew that you had a week to live? What would you do? What would you do different? But the reality is, that, and this is what he's saying, uh, it's obviously over. The Lord has said it's over. And um, he says, my lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts me off like a womb from day unto night. You make an end of me. I've, I've considered until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night, you make an end of me. Like a crane or a swallow, so I I chattered. I mourned like a dove. My eyes failed from looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. The, The scripture talks about, teach us, Lord, to apply our heart to wisdom and to number our days. You ever do that? Let's say uh, you make it, if you take a lot of Garden of Life products, let's say you make it to 85. <laughs> let's say you don't and you only make it to 65 or whatever. But, you know, it's good every once in a while to recognize that you're terminal. You know, every person sitting here tonight is terminal, every single one of us. I'm terminal, you're terminal, and there's nothing you can do about it. The only thing that can change it is the rapture. There is one generation that will be different from every other generation, and they won't go through what's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And unless you have that perspective in going through life, you're, you're really missing a force for the trees because there's no getting around it. And when it hits you, that's why the Lord says, teach us to number our days. And how many do you have left? Well, I got a whole lot more behind me than I have in front of me. I know that much. I'm, <laughs> I'm not 25 anymore. My head tells me I am. My body tells me I'm not. But here is just Hezekiah dealing with the reality <clears throat> that it's over. Who will, so who will restore me and make me, me live? Indeed, it was my own peace that I had great bitterness, but You have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. We can say the same. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot 
praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you. He's got his argument going on here. How can I bless you, Lord, if I'm in Sheol? I can't. As I do this day, the Father shall make known your truth to the children. The Lord was ready to save me, therefore we will sing my song with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs, apply it as a poultice on a boil, and he shall recover. Now, our generation isn't familiar with this technology, but a poultice is simply, um, in this case, a lump of figs, and it basically sucked the poison. It draws out the infection that was in his body. It just drew it out. Now, uh, this is sort of Isaiah's prescription. Take a lump of figs, apply it as a poultice, on the boil, and he'll recover. So there's where the instruction. And Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? And um, that brings us to the recovery and uh, our last chapter, 39, is his recovery and what happens as a result of him being granted this 15 extra years of time. So at this time, Merodach, Baladan, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylon. Now Babylon is just uh, not, it's it's not an empire by any means at all. Um, Assyria is. And um, Assyria is dominant. Babylon's not even on the radar as far as being a power yet. But they heard that Hezekiah was sick, and so they send this delegation down that they heard that he had been sick and he was going to die, but now he's recovered. So they send this delegation down, and the idea is to, uh, you know, I think there's alternative motives that we're going to see here in a second, but as, um, as we look into this, uh, he receives these men from Babylon. Verse 2, and Hezekiah was pleased with them. And uh, he was recovered now. They had come from a far journey. They'd never been to Jerusalem before, evidently. And Hezekiah showed them the house of his treasures, the silver, the gold, the spice, the precious ointment, all of, his, all of his armory, and all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in the house or in his dominion that Hezekiah didn't show them, and he's just showing off. And so during this period of time, we find that um, these Babylonians come down, and Hezekiah shows them around, all that he has. And then, after they go home, verse 3, Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and he said to them, what did these men say? And from where did they, and where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, well, they came from a far country, all the way from Babylon. 
And he said, what have they seen in your house? And so Hezekiah answered, well, they've seen everything that's in my house. Matter of fact, there's not nothing among my treasures that I've not showed them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away from you and your sons, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to have you turn to chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. And then as you're turning to Daniel, I want to remind you, as we read the first 36 chapters of Judgment, it talks about uh, Jerusalem. And it said that Jerusalem would be judged. And it would fall. But it said... He also said that he would preserve them from um, the Assyrians, and he did. So now it's some time later, and what Isaiah is prophesying to Hezekiah, he says, everything that you just showed them is going to end up in Babylon someday, and they're going to take the cream of the crop, and they will become eunuchs, and they will serve in Babylon. So if if you're in chapter one, It says, uh, now we're moving to the fulfillment of a prophecy that's given to us in chapter 39 of Isaiah. He's prophesying that Babylon is going to become powerful and they're actually going to come and besiege and take everything that Hezekiah showed them. Let's just deal with chapter one first of all. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasury house of his God. So Isaiah prophesied it. Here it's coming to pass. And he, he comes down in three different sieges. And in the first siege, um, we read, then he instructed Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, and Isaiah said he was going to take their men and make them eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles, in other words, the cream of the crop. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who have ability to serve in a king's palace and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans are the Babylonians. And so what we have here, of course, verse 7 tells us, is Daniel and um, Hananiah and Shadrach and Mishael and Azariah, and Abednego. Um, And so here we have a fulfillment in chapter one of Daniel. 
Just like Isaiah said, he's going to come take the cream of the crop. They're going to be eunuchs. And their purpose will be to serve. And that's exactly what happened. The rest of chapter 1 is uh, Daniel does not want to eat the king's meat or or drink the king's wine. Um, Because he said it is unlawful to do so. Well, he's talking about the things that are forbidden uh, for a Jew to eat. Ham and cheese. <laughs> and evidently that's what they were serving. And he said, please don't make us eat this. Just, we will be very happy with vegetables. And he said, you can't do that. You won't be healthy. And he says, well, give us 10 days to prove you wrong. And after 10 days, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked better than the other guys did. And when they came before, after the set period of time, before the king, um, verse 20, in all matters of wisdom and understanding about the king's examining them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, astrologers, and all who were in the realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. That's the, the whole 70 years captivity. All right. Evidently, now turn to chapter 5. When these guys came down to wish Hezekiah well, he showed him all the treasures that were in the temple. Now that included the golden drinking vessels. And so we'll read the first um, five verses of chapter 5. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 39. Now Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in the presence of the thousands. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father, actually it's his great-grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem. Now this is a prophecy that has Isaiah said to Hezekiah. And the king and his lords and his wives and the concubines might drink from them. They brought them in, the gold vessels that had been taken from the house of, of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the kings and the Lord and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, wood, and stone. And this, of course, is where the Lord has had enough. And we have a famous hand appearing out of nowhere and saying, you've had it. And um, we have the famous writing on the wall by the very finger of God. One of three places, interesting when we read about the finger of God. First place, Ten Commandments, written with the finger of God. Here we have it in Daniel chapter 5. And then we have this event in John chapter 8, where they bring this woman who is caught in the act of adultery, doesn't have a prayer. She's broken the law. And they're only doing it to trap the Lord. And they're finding some way to trap him because he says he's a friend of sinners on one hand, but he also at the same time says he has come to fulfill all the law. So they catch this gal in the act of adultery and they drag her out and says, look, we caught her right in the very act. Now the law says, but what do you say? And as far as they're concerned, they got him. He's, he's, he's trapped that there's no way that he can get around this one, except for one thing. 
These guys are playing mind games with the creator of the mind, <laughs> which proposes a problem. <laughs> so all he does is once again he stoops down, and once again we see the finger of God writing. And he knew every one of these guys. He knew everything they ever said. He knew every thought that they ever did. And he just looked around. And beginning with the youngest to the oldest, begins to write things with the finger of God. And we don't know what he wrote, but I'm sure it was maybe a time and a date where you yourself committed adultery, didn't you, Judah? And Judah looks down and goes, oh, I didn't think anybody knew about that one. And he says, "Um, I just remembered my wife wanted some groceries, and I got to go now, see you later. And one by one, he does the same thing. He writes something down, and obviously it had something to do with he knew them. And it shut them up, and they were out of there. And he looks down at the woman, and he says, where are your accusers? She said, nobody's here, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go, you need some serious counseling, at least six months' worth, and uh, everything, you'll, you'll probably get it worked out by then, right? <laughs> no, that's not what he said. He simply did not condone her sin. He says, neither do I condemn you. She called him Lord, right? Now, there's a lot in that statement, Lord, no one here. And um, you don't have to read between the lines here. It's no different than what the thief said on the cross. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. He wasn't baptized. He had no good works. He was a thief. All he said was, Lord, remember me. And so, you know, he knew he was a thief. He said, so we deserve this, he told the other guy. And, but basically what he saw was this man's heart on the cross. He said, Lord, just remember me. He says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So one of those thieves is in heaven with the Lord right now having no good works, never went to church, never went to Sabbath, never had communion, never did anything good except, Lord, remember me. And that's exactly what happened with this woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, whether or not you know it or not, every person here and watching online, you're an adulterer. Because Jesus said if you have looked on lust towards a man or a woman, You've committed adultery in your heart. Does that make us any different than the girl who was caught in the act who the Lord forgave? Somebody say amen. (laughs) We're all acknowledging that we've broken that law, that somewhere, sometime in your life, you looked lustfully on the opposite sex. And if you've done that, what does it say? If you've broken one law, you're guilty of what? All of them. So she says, Lord, and the minute she says, Lord, that was, her, that was her sinner's prayer, and the Lord saw it. He says, and neither do I condemn you. But he didn't condone the sin. He says, you can't live that lifestyle anymore. You know? And so when we came to the Lord, you know, there's just certain things that just go automatically. And, um, and how did we get so sidetracked on that? I'm, we're, oh, I know, that we got one more verse, and I wanted to, uh, let's go back and finish up chapter 39. I wanted to take you to Daniel, where we got sidetracked here, is this prophecy in 39 being fulfilled in Daniel chapter 1. We left off by saying in verse 7 and 8, we'll take away some of your sons, all right, that was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and there'll be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Did that prophecy come to pass? Absolutely. Every prophecy in the Bible will come to pass. And then, now here is um, the wrong answer by Hezekiah. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. No concern about his pride here, what the repercussions were going to be because of what he showed these men from Babylon. Now on Sunday, I'm going to get more into this. But in thinking about this tonight, if if the Lord speaks to us about something and says, uh, you know, get your house in order because I'm going to bring you home. That might be a good time not to have a prayer request that would contradict what the Lord has said. In a nutshell, Hezekiah's reply to Isaiah is very strange. He said, in effect, I'm glad this prophecy won't take place in my day. He's grateful that these things could not come to pass in his day. But what about his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren? It did take place in their days. Hezekiah's life was extended for 15 years. Question, was it good? Was it good? It was not good. He lived to play the fool. We find two major things happen when you record. If you go from this period of time, what happened in his life? Well, there was a son born to him that would have never been born to him who became one of the most vile, evil kings in Israel. And he should have never been born. And the other thing was, this whole deal, if he would have gone when the Lord had called him, chapter 39 would have never happened. There would have never been a committee that came down from Babylon. And his prayer request here, the Lord heard his prayer, and he allowed him to have those 15 extra years. The question is, was it plan A, or was this plan B? And did Hezekiah settle for plan B when maybe he should have Listen to the Lord with plan A. Are you following me on this one? We'll talk about it more on Sunday as we get into prayer. How is it and why is it that the Lord actually answered in prayer and allowed these things to happen? And um, I'll leave it at that. What time is it? Oh, this is unthinkable. It's five to eight. I'll have to tell stories or something for the next five or ten minutes. Now, let's stand. We, We got through our second section of the division of the book of Isaiah. In closing, again, I know I'm being repetitious, but this is how we learn. Isaiah is divided into three books. The first 35 chapters, we're through them. And as we end this tonight, we've just completed the second division. From 40 to 66, we'll begin that next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. This personal story of King Hezekiah, he was one of the good kings of Israel. And Lord, I pray that when you speak to us and you got a plan A in view, that we don't try to alter that. Help us, Lord, to learn how to pray, thy will be done and not ours. I can't help but think, Lord, in going to the cross that you really didn't want to. You didn't want to die either. You said, Father, if there's any other way than me going to the cross, then I want that to happen. But you followed that up with, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And it causes us to pause and wonder about Hezekiah's prayer here. If he would have said, thy will be done, and followed through with it, 
what would the consequences not have been with the birth of his wicked son and these men coming down from Babylon. So Lord, as we close in prayer tonight, help us learn always to pray according to thy will be done and not ours. As we go out tonight, Lord, thank you for your word. I just pray really bless your people as we consider these chapters in this section of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.